All right, thanks, Nate, for leading us today. And, you know, I've had the privilege to be able to be in the room with uh, Nate the last several months as we done our live stream. And so I just love being in worship again. And, uh, you know, he's not singing from a microphone, but it's like booming in here just because, like, we're not used <laughs> to being in live worship kind of thing. And so uh, thanks, Nate, for leading us today. And, uh, thank you for all of your endurance over this past year. I try to, I think I'm a positive person, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not positive when I'm around my kids, I don't know. Uh, but I, I just want to say thank you to so many of you and uh, all that you've done in this past year and a half. Um, I'd pat you all on the back if I could kind of thing and just say thank you for, uh, through broken vessels, being the light of Jesus. And we, uh, in the midst of brokenness and difficulty, it's when we do shine for Jesus. And I hope that you've learned over this past year and a half, it's in these moments where you come to the bottom or the end of your rope, it's when we can really reach out to Jesus. And that's why oftentimes suffering can be a good thing. I don't mean to make light of any painful thing you're going through, but suffering is an opportunity to come to God. And if you think about it, uh, before the scripture even was written and passed on like it is to us today, and how do people know God? Well, God will appear to them in, in miraculous ways, but also they begin to endure suffering, what this life really is, and they turn to God, and God does these amazing things, and God is in the business of revealing himself. And because we're human, God reveals himself to us in our emotional life. He, he, he uh, reveals himself into the moments in which we don't have money, right? And it starts hurting, or something physical you're dealing with. You know, God reveals himself in that, and so I want to tell you thank you for your endurance over this last year and a half. Um, you've been doing it, and you're continuing to do it. And this is really the message of 1 Peter. We've been studying this these last several weeks, and I just love this uh, letter, this epistle to the early church, because we get a little window, some insight into some hard things they're dealing with and how they respond. It was really important last week when we talked about the first part of 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, that sometimes we don't receive this answer from Peter because, you know, we don't receive that uh, we have the same problem. For Peter, as he's trying to explain to the early church, the main problem is walking with God and things that get in the way of that. The problem is not seeing that your life should be around heaven and around someone you don't see really. And, you know, that you're, you're, the real problem is that your lack of connection to God in the midst of it all. The answer we want is how to make life better. And I just don't have that answer. Uh, people are probably making millions of dollars selling that answer. Uh, we don't have that answer, but what we do have for you, and as we study scripture and as a community of faith, is that we're trying to support you to live a healthy life through Jesus. And his definition of a healthy life is seen here in 1 Peter. As they're going through some hard times, what do you do when, at this time they're thinking that Emperor is Nero, what do you do when Nero is killing Christians? I mean, just brutal. What do you do when you've got a such a, an emperor that is so evil or unjust. What do you do in that as believers? Well, Peter says to dig in to remember that these things that you're not getting from this world isn't what life is about. These things that you're not getting, safety and convenience and comfort and affirmation of your beliefs and your way of life, that's not the primary thing anyhow. The primary thing is that your heart stays with Jesus and that you will be the light of the world through it all. And so his answer is the answer to the biggest problem you and I have. It's not about if we can get that white picket fence and 2.5 kids and a dog and a cat. Scratch the cat. Cats aren't fun. Uh, we can't have those things. 
this is really hard because as a community, so I want you to be happy, kind of. I want you to be satisfied in Him more than anything else in this earth. You've heard me say that over this past year and a half. I don't want you to be satisfied in your job and your convenience and your comfort. I want you to be satisfied in Jesus. And Jesus was in your home. He was in your car. He was in your heart, wherever you went this past year and a half. And I want to tell you in the future as well, in the face of any suffering, our enduring living hope is that Jesus is alive. And the hope that we have is it will heal us fully. And we're here just for a little while. If I could preach one sermon every week, I, I say this every week, I feel like, but this would be a really good one. Aren't you going to suffer in your life? Aren't you? To be honest, haven't you suffered past tense in your life? And so as a community of faith, I hope we together are a reminder to keep looking forward, to keep looking for what's ahead. And so I hope to remind you of that today. Um, if you read this passage, it's 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. Now, before I read it, I'm going to give you some context here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. Uh, this is about submitting to emperors, rulers, president, government, powers that be. Uh, initially, I don't really like this passage. I don't like the idea of submitting to anybody besides God, right? Uh, really, that's, you know, that's, a, that's the tension that we live in. Uh, and sometimes we use this passage and maybe we're not exactly sure how to apply it. And so for me, I want to say this before we look at this passage, that uh, this is in the context of suffering uh, due to in injustice. Okay, Very clear. Peter's response here is not just some kind of guide on how to be a good United States citizen. Okay, I think that's a misapplication. Uh, what this passage is about is in the context of suffering due to their injustice and due to their faith. And Peter is helping them to endure suffering. That's what this passage really is about. It's not telling you how to be a good United States citizen. It's not me giving you a list of characteristics for you to go and do. Uh, this is also important that this guidance applies to that, uh, how to love God well and to be his in an evil world. Uh, this guidance is not whether or not to start a revolution. Okay, uh, Physical resolution, revolution, I'd say it that way. His guidance here is how to live as foreigners, how as aliens, uh, citizens of another heaven, of another world, another country. And uh, I think it's important because this guidance, again, isn't for you to have just this wonderful, beautiful, happy life that society or your culture or whatever that you think it is. This is about being finding our ultimate hope in Jesus no matter what you go through. Okay, so I said that as a kind of a background. So let's read uh, first Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 25 and then I'm going to go uh, through some verses here and then wrap up with some questions for you to ponder today and I want to remind you that you can do this in your home you can do this yourself to read scripture to observe things that are going on to pray to ask God this be alive and real and a part of your life All right, we'll start chapter 2 verse 13 submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. 
Uh, verse 18, slaves or servants, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. I'd like to make a point there that it's a spiritual context, okay, not a physical one. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There's some things about these verses I don't like. I don't like the idea of submitting to people that are unjust. Uh, I don't like the idea of slaves submitting to their owners. I don't like those things, okay? <laughs> and so, as I read this, I just want to dig deeper in just in my own heart and my emotional reaction to some of these things. I hope you do that too when you read scripture. Get it all out there. If you don't like it, you, make, you don't like the God that you see here, good. Bring it out. And talk to God about that. Spend your life doing that. That's what I've done. And, he, and verse 13 and 14, the idea of submission there, a couple comments here. First is that submission uh, means in subjection to. You put yourself under voluntarily. Voluntarily. If you are forced into submission, it is not submission. It's slavery. Okay? Voluntary. I would also like to make a comment here. This is really, really important. That none of us can do fully. Verse 13 and some of these verses are talking about submission. Just like none of us in this room or watching today or watching later can love everybody. Is it okay if I just say that? I know the Bible says to love everybody else. But I'm telling you that you and I have limits. And the more we deny those limits and the, and, the, and the less of a real view of ourselves we have, then we won't be able to actually grow in loving better and submitting better. Okay? So we all have limits in who and how we can submit, okay? Uh, I also want to make a point here that this is a, uh, something in my study I read that's pretty good, that uh, you can uh, still submit and disobey. Uh, what I mean by that is you can still obey God and disobey the rules of this land, of the world, uh, and yet submit to the punishment and consequence you'll get for that. You can disobey this world and its rules and this government and follow God and yet still submit to the, to the consequence and the punishment that's due you. So submission doesn't mean complete, total obedience. We're totally obedient to God, but we will be subjected to the consequence of that and the punishment in this world. Does that make sense? Okay, let me put that out there. Uh, secondly, it's really important is that this isn't just some kind of self-hate, you know, you're not just punishing yourself to submit to this crazy, evil world that you and I live in and all the rulers in the world, right? But rather it's for the Lord's sake. There's something here 
Isn't it good to know there's purpose in suffering? Isn't it good to know there's purpose in submission? That there's a reason and it's for the Lord's sake. It's in, for his purpose, for his interest, and for his reason. I, and if you haven't figured this out yet, I hope you'll hear me today. Is that your reason for living isn't just for you. And it's not just to hang out. Your purpose is for God and to be a witness and a light and a reflection of him in this world. When I pray over my kids at night, I pray they will be a reflection of you, O oh Lord, in this world. I don't know what all that means or how it's going to be there, but Lord, let them be a reflection of you in this world. And this is for the Lord's sake. And when we do subject ourselves voluntarily to the authority of another, specifically the government and the laws that be, uh, and and yet sub obey God still, and yet be sub submissive and subject to uh, the consequences of that obedience to God. Verse 15 talks about Paul, Peter talks about being doing good, and uh, it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant and talk of foolish people. You live as free people, right? You're God's slaves, God's servants. Um, to show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. That's the key part there, okay? is that uh, we do not fear the emperor. We fear God. Fearing God is the priority. Recognize that his authority, his laws, his way is the most important. To recognize that we come from him, we originate from him, and we do not fear the emperor. We're here to Fear God and obey Him the most. And yet, when you fear God, you can still honor the emperor. Honor means to assign value to, to respect, to respect an office or a title, uh, to, effect, uh, to assign value to that person. Uh, John Piper had a really great illustration of this. Is we're to show proper respect to everyone and and honor and assign value to all people. Well, it's easier to do that to people who maybe have power over you and make you do it. Maybe it's easier to do to people who like you and people that you like and who love you and you love. But how do we assign value and honor the rapist and the murderer? I don't like this one. How I'm supposed to respect everybody and honor everybody? How can I do that? Like I said earlier, it's impossible. But we don't stop there as believers. The impossible is possible with God. And so we ask God to expand our hearts to be able to love all and respect all. and, Or I should say more and assign, be able to assign value to more. So how do we assign value to the rapist and the murderer? Well, how we assign value by recognizing they're still made in God's image. Uh, and maybe we give them fair punishment. We don't treat them like animals, like dogs. They're still valuable as a human being no matter what you've done. And so what I'm telling you to do, no matter who the president is, you can still honor and assign value and yet still fear God. The problem comes into play when we fear who is in charge, whatever the authority may be, more than we do God. You can fear God and still honor evil, unjust leaders uh, or people that have power over you. Okay? Secondly, in this verses, it's really important, verse 16, to recognize uh, doing good. That's subjective, right? Who, according to who? If we ask the president what doing good is, you know, doing this and that, or depending on who the president is, or if we ask the governor, you know, what's doing good, or what's this or that, well, this is going to be some subjectivity here, and I recognize that. But I want to throw out there is that a key part of doing good in the model of Jesus is doing good means the 
uh, doing something for the interest of another and not for yourself. You can run wild with that, be careful. I don't want you to be abused, I don't want you to be taken advantage of, and I told you you had limits, so you can say no, you absolutely can. But the heart behind it is we should be growing in our ability to do something for the interest of another, not in a selfish way. We trust that God will meet our needs, right? And so we can do good as a citizen living in this nation, and yet honor the emperor, right? Assign value to and still fear God. So it's really hard, I know, what really is doing good in this society? You know, I, I get that. But one thing of the aspect of doing good is we are the people of God. We are the very people that oftentimes will do something in the interest of another, not just for ourselves. We should be known for our selflessness and love and not for our selfishness. Okay? That's what doing good means. Verse 18, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Right? I don't like this one either. Uh, verse 19, it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit? If you receive a beating for doing wrong, endure it. But if you for doing good, endure it. This is commendable before God. Here's the thing that Peter's trying to say. Um, he's trying to say, listen, at some point you serve another king. At some point you're going to follow the model of another, uh, no matter what's done to you. Uh, there's different arguments here on what the word slaves there means. It's um, Slaves oftentimes use the word as doulos. It's not that word there. This could be referred to like a household servant. Um, it could be someone that was in debt and now decides to pay off their debt by being a, a servant to this to, to a household. Uh, slavery is a little different in scripture. They weren't necessarily race slaves or by race, right? Uh, either way you look at it, slaves had every right not to do this. And so what Peter does and when you're in the midst of some unjust suffering, you're doing right and you're getting wrong, right? When you're in the midst of that, somehow you try to turn your heart towards God. Another way to look at that is you look past the emperor. You look past the slave owner. You look past your boss. You look past to the patriarch to see God. And if you can yet still see God and see past all the other earthly authorities, you will still fear him, and you will do good. You will love well. You will uh, do what is in the interest of, really, of God, and not just in the interest of yourself. Okay? Peter does highlight voluntary subjection, submission, and showing a witness of Jesus. He highlights love above rights, giving above receiving, and Jesus did teach this. Now, again, where it gets kind of confusing is like, well, what does that mean that if when bad's happening, you shouldn't say anything about it? Uh, if you're being treated poorly, should you not say anything about it or do anything about it? Um, if you are facing these things and you have the opportunity to do something about it, should you, would you, could you, right? And I would say again, first of all, this passage applies uh, to facing suffering in this world and to give us hope. And that's the this direct application of this passage is to give you hope, no matter what suffering you are facing, to be able to endure it. Uh, and I would also say that in some of these cases, yeah, you can figure out a way to find God in the midst of it, and maybe you can endure that. Um, but I would also say that this is something to where it's between you and God. And I don't think that we are unlimited beings that can always stay under unjust leaders. Sometimes you do have to walk away. Sometimes you do have to say something. Sometimes you do have to be the one that has to 
ruffle some feathers. I don't have a list of things or specific situations for when that is, but what I'm telling you is the key part is it's a matter of your heart. If you're doing it just for your self-interest, if you're not doing it for others, if you're not doing it as a witness to God, then I question some of those things. I also would tell you that uh, what Peter's trying to tell, you, tell us is that all these things in our lives could change, and yet you're still, your heart would be far from God. He's trying to tell us in this, in this epistle, in this letter, that listen, even if the emperor wasn't Nero and it was this awesome, wonderful guy, your hope's not supposed to be that awesome, wonderful guy. Even if in your own life now, that suffering that you face all the time, whether it's a physical thing, a, a, whether it's a, a, a relational thing, maybe you're facing something at work that's just not fair, even if those things were just, even if they were removed, okay, our salvation isn't in that. Our salvation is in Jesus. And so part of my caution when we do start doing things to be able to, uh, in a way, give us more rights or be able to live out our rights, we want to be very, very, very careful that we don't put all of our eggs in that basket. <clears throat> Listen, you can have a list of things that are happening right now. You can look through the past, your whole life, of this suffering didn't happen and that suffering didn't happen. This, the point in life isn't not to have suffering. It's to be satisfied in Jesus no matter what. And we don't want comfort convenience or even having our rights, being able to go wherever we want, do whatever we want, having our freedom to be our highest value or priority. It is Jesus. I hope you hear that this morning. Verse 22, speaking <clears throat> of Jesus, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled insults at him. What did he do? He didn't retaliate. We read the passage during the Good Friday, right, of how Jesus was in the midst of pain and rejection. Verse 24, he bore our sins, sins on the cross, that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Okay, listen. I love this idea of Jesus looking past Pilate. And then Pilate says, don't you see I have the power to give you this and free you? Jesus is like, really? You can You don't have, the only power you have is the power that my father has given you. Can you see past the emperor? Can you see past that awful boss, can you see past that unjust person in your life? Okay. And Jesus in this moment, he gave himself over to the Father, right? We're there entrusted. It's gave yourself over, commit to pledge. Um, and this is what Jesus does to endure. I also, again, mentioned earlier that we oftentimes quote this verse uh, from Isaiah and also here when we want to pray for physical healing that by his wounds you have been healed. Um, you can actually look at both of those passages and do some con contextual study in that and recognize that Peter and Isaiah both are actually talking about spiritual healing. I'm not telling you not to apply it to physical healing. I'm just telling you if you want to read scripture in context. Uh, Peter here, what is Peter talking about? He's talking about the heart. He's talking about the pain that's happening in your heart. Jesus beat up. Brutalized, murdered, right? Punished, right? On the cross. These are physical things happening. And Peter's trying to say, don't, don't, don't you get it? Your heart is more sick than your body will ever be. Don't you get it? That Jesus took everything physical for you so that you could be healed in a spiritual sense? And your freedom of the heart is more important than any freedom in your physical body. 
And one day all these things will be taken away, our sin will be gone, and we will have these wonderful bodies. But what I'm trying to tell you, in the context of what First Peter is saying, your heart matters. Jesus died to give you a new heart. Jesus died to give you a free heart. Jesus died to give you a heart that wouldn't be conquered by any emperor, any boss, any unjust person, that you would yet still be So a couple of things I just want you to remember from this passage, um, and I said it earlier, but first of all, it's just to fear God. If we were to be honest with ourselves, there are people in our lives that cause us fear. Uh, currently, right now, in our national discussion, uh, there are groups of people that will take up arms because they're fearful of what the government is going to take from them. And I want to caution you believers. I don't get to talk to the whole world. I get to talk to you. And you get to listen. Hopefully it's a get to. Fear God the most. If you fear an emperor or something in this world to take these things away from you, you're actually not submitting uh, to God. I would also say that oftentimes we don't submit, you know, uh, because we just need those things so much. It's hard to assign value, honor. It's hard to respect those in authority when they're unjust. Because, frankly, we just need them to give us whatever it is they're not giving us. I would also maybe think through this a little bit and help you think about just whatever suffering is going on in your life, that there's probably something in regards to an unjust person, thing, or place that you feel like is taking something from you without your permission. Uh, and so fear causes us to fight, it causes us to defend, you know, especially as fathers and young men, you know, we will protect our families at all costs, right? Uh, but we have to be careful that we truly do fear God the most and not these other things. It's really hard as an employee, right, to not fear your boss because they'll take your job away in a heartbeat. And that's where abuse happens in the workplace because you're like, well, I'll keep doing this because I don't want to get lose my job. Well, be careful with that, okay? So fear God, secondly, is to do good. Those two words that are so uh, short words, but so hard to do. Because doing good is one thing, but doing good in the face of not good? Oh man, so hard. However, doing good in the face of injustice is your opportunity to be both a witness and also to ex show a character trait. Uh, it's a virtue. You know, Doing good is both a witness and it's a virtue. And I want to call you church. On your Facebook stream or whatever, your feed or whatever social media, there's a lot of not doing good going on. A lot of not virtues and witnesses going on. Be careful, church. Your dinner table. Uh, you know, in my home, we we talked really loud and the loudest one won and the loudest one got hurt, you know. And uh, you want to just be really, really, really careful that your loud voice in your home is one of doing good in the face of injustice. Uh, and it shows the witness of Jesus and his love. Uh, it's not just overbearing in your family to where uh, you're talking really out of fear and you're angry about what someone's trying to take away from you. Fear God, church, the most. Do good when people aren't doing good to you. And then the third thing here is uh, to actually remember and find freedom in our hearts and not from this world. I know this gets a little gray and dicey because we live in a nation that was started by a revolution, okay, for freedom. I recognize that. 
Uh, we're in a free speech society in which there are protests, there are all kinds of things. We get our rights by our vote, we, I, get, I get that. We get our rights by our voice, and I understand all that. But I'm telling you, as the people of God, that is not your primary freedom. You can get all these freedoms. You can have every single freedom you want, every single right, right that you want, and that is not what Jesus died to give you. I'll just tell you that again. Jesus didn't die to give you freedom in this earth. That's why Jesus didn't start a physical revolution. He did something better. He freed hearts. So matter, no matter what chain you're in, no matter who's the boss, no matter where, what family you're part of, no matter what's going on, you can truly still be free. This is a spiritual message for a physical world, yes. Because we live in a physical world. We live in this world with these painful things. We live in this world with power and control. And don't you feel about this small sometimes with our beliefs? How many of you feel great to uh, share your views at work, share your faith at work? Probably none of us, right? I do, actually, but none of you know. I've been in secular work environments where I'm like, I don't know if I can say this, I don't know how to react, they see something in my face, do they know I'm a Christian? What I, I understand those things, but I'm just telling you to be careful to not pursue freedom in this world as your primary thing, but to pursue freedom in your heart, which is founded upon uh, our fear of God the most. Founded upon the model of Jesus that was to lay his life down for us in the midst of it all, in the midst of the pain. That is your path for true freedom. Let me close with three questions. I like to give you some reflective questions because, you know, as we read scripture, this is what I do in my own personal reading of scripture for many years. I ask questions of myself. Okay, I read this powerful passage. I read these things. There's observations here, things that challenge me, things that don't sit well with me. Obviously, I've read this passage several times over the last 20 years of following Jesus, and I don't really know sometimes how does this work. Am I allowed to do this? What do I do? Good! I want to push you towards that. And if you're done struggling with scripture, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you're missing out. Don't be done with this. Um, you know, just because you read it doesn't mean you can apply it or live it out because God is constantly transforming our hearts to be able to follow the model of Jesus. We all have limits on how we love and respect and those things, but God will allow us to do better, okay? So here's a good question for you to ask yourself. Uh, whatever situation that you're facing, I mean, I can use national news stuff because it's easy to do that, but in your own personal life, okay, who am I most afraid of? Now, I would say one way of revealing who you're most afraid of is who you react to the most. Who makes you most reactive? Uh, when you read your faith being attacked or your rights being attacked and the rage comes up, careful, 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 right? Uh, when you think of a person and your blood starts boiling, right? Um, someone trying to take away your XYZ, right? Who am I most afraid of? If I ultimately feared God, I would obey Him and I would submit to the punishment of this world. You may lose your job. That's really hard. You may lose a family member in a relationship, right? As you obey God and fear Him the most, you may not be popular. Jesus wasn't either. Join the club. Just don't not be popular because you're a jerk. You know what I'm saying? Do it for the right motivation, the right reason. Because you want to fear God the most. Who am I most afraid of in this situation, whatever it may be? Um, secondly, right now in this situation, what can I do that would be in the interest of another in this situation? Within reason. Don't sub submit yourself to 
abuse or taking, being taken advantage of because that's not voluntary. You can't submit without it being voluntary, okay? So what can you, in the work of grace in your heart, what can God do right now, I can help you with, what can you do that would be in the interest of another? Uh, on my uh, wallpaper on my phone, I have a verse about, you know, forgiving others and loving people no matter how they treated you. And I just, whew, I read it almost like every day and I'm like, oh man, can I just skip this somehow? But remember, I'm a freedom in my heart, right? What can I do that would be in the interest of another in this situation, whatever it may be? And number three, what am I unwilling to surrender that keeps me in fear? What am I unwilling to surrender that keeps me in fear? Example of work example is the fear thing is you don't want to lose your job. And so you compromise a little bit here and there. I've been in sales jobs where I compromise a little bit here and there and feel bad about it, but I'm fearful of losing this job, right? Uh, what are you unwilling to surrender? Maybe you just can't give up your rights in some situation. Maybe you can't give up your desire to be respected and honored, right? Somebody's not valuing you. Uh, what is it you're unwilling to surrender? So Jesus' model was surrendering it all. Okay, That was his model. What am I unwilling to surrender that actually keeps me in fear? What is it that I need to have in my life? Right, that I'm so tied to. It could be the approval of others. And it could be there's people in your life. Like you're scared of somebody not going to be your friend anymore or to reject you in some way. Uh, maybe it is the fear of that you're going to find out that you know that you are as valued or uh, you're going to think that all your fears about yourself are true, right? When you start saying no or setting limits. What am I unwilling to surrender? Is it a community? Man, if I change my views on this, if I surrender this, I start living differently, and I'm going to lose these people that I've kind of been in a relationship for a while. What am I unwilling to surrender in this situation that actually keeps me more in fear of the emperor, whatever boss, whatever it is, than God? I'm going to pray for you this morning, and I'm going to pray about fear today. It's interesting that uh, Peter is speaking to people who are scared out of their minds. Are you kidding me? You're, you're going to die from here. They see what he does to Christians, right? Fear is the thing going on here. And what he says is not is not to have no fear in your life, but to fear God and to have appropriate fear. And if God is the most sovereign, the most powerful, then he can handle whenever that emperor, that boss, that person in your life is going to punish you. He will be there for you. When you fear God the most, he has the ability and the power. He's enough when you are going to hurt because you disobeyed whatever the power that may be for God. And that's what I want you to hear today. You can endure the suffering. You can endure that thing being taken out of your life. You can endure serving the interests of another and not yourself because we trust a God who will take care of us. The hard part gets is we want God to take care of us in the way we want to be taken care of. X, Y, Z, God. And it is a dark place when you start letting go and you feel the fear and you feel how alone it is. But I want to tell you that darkness doesn't last forever. That darkness is yet for a little while and the sun is going to rise on your life. Jesus, today, as we look within and recognize that there are so many people in our life, powers and so forth, that we don't want to submit to. 
Teach us, Lord. Guide us, Lord, to voluntarily submit because we fear you, not in the power of this earth. And because we fear you so much, we can voluntarily submit uh, to the rules of the land. And that we can find freedom in our heart in, in those situations that we are yet physically in chains or relationally in chains. So we'll find our freedom in you. So I pray today that we would be able to do good somehow, God, when people treat us so poorly. Somehow that we would be able to assign value and honor people, assign value when we have not been valued. Jesus, I pray today that we would think about the cross. We would think about all the injustice you faced, all the suffering you faced, and yet you forgave. Lord, we recognize we have limits. We may not be there, be there yet in this one situation with people we're dealing with. But God, I pray for your grace today, for our church, for our community, that we would be the very people that bring this before you. And that we wouldn't just say, live our lives this way, but we would just come to you and say, Jesus, it's not enough just to let it be. We want your healing and transformation, Lord. That's us. That's the people of God. And we pray we would be that, Lord. I pray today, Lord, for courage to surrender these things and keep us in fear. Lord, I pray for hard things in our church to be able to turn us to you and that we would be able to surrender and do these hard, hard things of surrender and ultimately fearing you more than anybody or anything else. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our community. We trust you today. We entrust ourselves to you. That's what we do today, Lord. Not to any powers that be, but to you. We put ourselves, our lives, our very lives, in your hands, and we trust you to take care of us. In Jesus' name, amen.